You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. morning everyone so it is a blessing to gather it's an honor to preach god's word it's a blessing to gather and worship him um i want to give a couple of shout outs but before we do that we're going to need bibles today so if you don't have one we're going to do the whole bible thing right like if you don't have one you can put up your hand and the ushers will come and give you one okay so I, let, let's i just thought let's do that while we do the shout outs because we're going to flip back and forth maybe a little too much i'm going to make a judgment call we'll see how it goes so just be prepared to flip back and forth and just a little tip, what I do when I, don't, when I can't find the book of the Bible, even though I think I know where it is, I might flip, I might miss it. I flip one way, I miss it. I flip back, I miss it. So just go to the table of contents. That's what I do. Real simple, table of contents. Look it up, uh, find it, and then we'll follow along. There's some great passages, some lengthy ones that I, I think it would be good for you to see, for you to read and see. So the shout outs that I want to give, number one is I want to shout out the brothers who've been preparing these sermons. This was a lot more work than I thought it would be. Uh, so shout out to all the men. Shout out to the brothers that came before me, whoever's next. Shout out to our brothers. Also shout out to their wives. And I say that because if I'm prepared, for me, it was like I'm preparing a sermon after hours. That means I'm not doing other stuff. And whatever I'm not doing, my wife is doing. So she picked up the load. She was super uh, supportive. She read Galatians with me, giving me her perspective and insight, praying for me, putting up with me. Um, so shout out to the ladies too, right? And the brothers. And also shout out to our pastors who do this for a living. Like to study the word of God and to desire to communicate that with accuracy takes work, right? So shout out to Pastor Trevor, Pastor Michael. All right, so let's turn to Galatians chapter five. Let's go there now. Uh, we're, gonna be flip, we're gonna spend a lot of time in Galatians. And I'm gonna flip with you. I mean, I have it right here with me in front of me, but I, I like it. I think it's, it's good to use our Bibles. If you have the, your device, whatever, you can swipe uh, back and forth all you like. So uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, this is the main verse of our summer series, and it is our starting point uh, for this sermon. Uh, we're going to read it, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get to work. You guys have it? Galatians? Okay. All right, so Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We'll stop right there. And something that occurred to me right now is that when these words are given, it sounds very poetic, right? I can imagine somebody who's visiting today, never been to church. You read this. It sounds poetic. It sounds nice. Like a feel, like it's like something you would put on a, on a Hallmark card. But the context of that is correction. He's correcting a church that has believed a false gospel. That's what's happening there. All right, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we can gather. Thank you that we can open the Bible and read it for ourselves. And thank you, Lord, that we can pray and ask you to help us understand this. So Holy Spirit, help us understand this. And Holy Spirit, help me to preach this. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my, of my, of my heart uh, be pleasing in your sight. Help us to get this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, I think... Pastor Michael said this already, but today's sermon is about faithfulness, right? We're in a summer series. We're going to taking that verse and assigning the different uh, uh, traits of the Spirit to, to different guys, and that's our assignment. Preach that. So for me, it's a faithfulness. 
And the title of the sermon is uh, Faithfulness. I don't know if it'll be up there. It doesn't matter. The, the title of the sermon is Faithfulness to the Gospel. That's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, but the issue that's going on in Galatians is a lot of unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness to the gospel. And the reason why this matters is because there's a lot of that going on today. How many of you would agree with that? Those of you who love the Lord, you believe the Lord, right? So here we are, we're reading something that was written a long time ago, and you read it. And I would encourage you, uh, for all of us who, who love the Lord, we are believers. We came here to worship Jesus. But whoever, uh, of those of you who aren't a believer, you're kind of checking it out for whatever reason, I would encourage you, read Galatians also. I think you will get, like, read it in one go. Read it like a letter. That's what it was. They would read the letter in one go. So I would encourage you, read Galatians, and then just ask yourself, what does this mean? What, what are the clues? What is this clearly saying that I can get? The issue in this letter is unfaithfulness to the gospel. And here's how you see it play out. We see the unfaithfulness of, of a group called the Judaizers. These were Christians, Christian Jewish people who, um, you know, like, like a lot of Christians today, you could say a lot of uh, influential Christian leaders, they want status. They want followers. Uh, interesting, right? They want influence and followers, kind of like us, influencers and followers. Like those things matter to us. It mattered to them. And what they're preaching is a gospel of, yeah, sure, you can believe in Jesus, but you have to be Jewish. You have to follow the Jewish uh, dietary laws, the guys. You have to get circumcised. That's what we have to do. And, that, and if you read Galatians, you'll see that happening in this letter. So the Judaizers, you see their unfaithfulness in, in pushing a false gospel, Jesus plus Judaism. And Paul refers to them in chapter 2, verse 4, as false brothers. We also see the unfaithfulness of the Galatians themselves who believed this false gospel and deserted the one true gospel. Uh, verse 6, chapter 1, that's what Paul says, you've deserted the gospel. So we see the unfaithfulness of Christians. Is that an issue today? Like, it is for me. Like, that's not a question to be like, yeah, Christians are like, and hating on the church. Like, for me, man, it's like, like the songs we sang. Like, you read that, and it's like, it's not like, man, those Christians, what's wrong with them? It's more like, man, Lord, what's wrong with me? You know? So, yeah, so the issue for them was unfaithfulness to the gospel. And lastly, we see the unfaithfulness of the Christian leaders. Here's where it's, it's crazy. Uh, Peter and Barnabas, influential leaders in the faith, true brothers, not like the faith, like the false brothers, right? True brothers who caved under the pressure of the Judaizers and fell into hypocrisy. Another question for you, is that happening today? Are there influential Christian leaders caving to the pressure of our culture to water down the gospel? What do you think? Yes. Yes. And, and, and what's worse, or I guess what's troubling, you could say, is true brothers, not false ones. True brothers, right? But there's hope. Yet despite the unfaithfulness, and in contrast to it, this unfaithfulness, God demonstrates his faithfulness to Paul and through Paul to restore the Galatians to the one true gospel and the one true church, which Paul describes as the Israel of God. He does it in chapter 6, verse 16. We see the faithfulness of God demonstrated in this letter in the following ways, to them and to us. God demonstrated his faithfulness to Paul by saving him and turning him from Saul, the violent church persecutor, to Paul, the relentless church planter. Right? We also see God demonstrate his faithfulness through Paul to the Galatians by inspiring him to write this letter so that they might repent and be restored to the one true gospel. And finally, we see God demonstrate his faithfulness to us today in that here we are, all these, in 2023, we're reading Galatians. Uh, we're reading Galatians, Paul's letter to them, and being moved by the Spirit, by God's grace, to repentance, 
and to restoration to the one true gospel and the one true church. And uh, I word it like that because in our context today, to say the one true gospel, I mean, I'm hearing myself say that on the speakers, and you almost think that's controversial. The one true gospel, that's not inclusive. You know what I mean? Like, it's the one true gospel. It's the gospel. There is no other gospel. He says that in chapter 1. And the one true church, that also sounds not inclusive, but there is one true church, the Israel of God. And so wherever, whatever your background is, whatever church you grew up in or not, for, for, for me, when I look at this, it's we, need, we need to be educated again by God through his word to understand these ideas. Sometimes you got to unlearn stuff you thought you knew and relearn it as, a, as, an, as an adult. As we look at this stuff, that's what he means, the one true gospel and the one true church. All right, so the big idea of today's sermon is this, the fruit of the Spirit. And forgive me if I'm talking fast. There's a lot to cover. Uh, I just kind of became aware of that. And uh, so I'll try to slow it down. Okay, so the big idea of today's sermon is this. The fruit of the Spirit is faith in the gospel, faithfulness to the gospel, and faithfulness with the gospel. So number one, I think number one is up. All right, that's number one. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is faith in the gospel. That's where it starts. The Holy Spirit gives us faith to believe the gospel. It's faith in the gospel. Um, as the, let's, let's see if I can explain this. The King James Version of Galatians 5.22 reads like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is faith. So here's where I did my homework. You've got to dig in and study this stuff, right? So here's what I learned. The word faith used here comes from the Greek word pistis, which means to believe and, tr- and trust in God, in his existence, in his character, and in his word with confidence and conviction. This is saving faith, we would say, in church. It's not like I, faith, like some ambiguous thing. This is, I believe this. I believe in the existence of God. I'm persuaded that God is good and his word is true. So it's belief in God with conviction. Um, but a couple of side notes uh, that are interesting about this word is that it, the word pistis also comes from the Greek root word pytho, which means to persuade. And I hope this appeals to us as, 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 as thinking people, right? Uh, it means that we are, it means to persuade and convince by reasoning as well as to be persuaded to move. In other words, we believe because we're persuaded to. When we come and, and our, our faith as believers is not without knowledge. And for those, again, I appeal to those who are visiting, you're new to church, you're checking it out for whatever reason, you are persuaded to believe. God doesn't expect you to check out, He expects you to check in. And I think by the power of his spirit, he persuades you through your own reasoning to realize that you are wrong and he is right. So we glorify. Those of us who are like, well, been there, done that. That's why we worship him. He is true and we believe it with conviction, especially more so today when there is no incentive to be a Christian. None. No social status. No respect. Why would any of us believe and still be here today? It is because we are persuaded by the spirit of God that he is true regardless of what our culture says. All right, so uh, where does this faith come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, by his power, produces his faith in us to believe the gospel. You could say that the Holy Spirit persuades us. In his opening remarks uh, to the Galatians, chapter 1, verse 4, Paul, Paul reminded them that it is according to the will of God and Father that they were delivered from, the, from this present evil age. In other words, it is by God's will that they are saved. It is not their will that they are saved as if they're doing God a favor, 
right? When we think of God, he's not a, a, like, like somebody who's, who's lonely. We, we, you know, we're here to do him a favor, everybody. Like, 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 it's not like that. God is mighty, and we are saved by his will. So, um, the Lord Jesus himself, I'll get you guys to turn to John chapter 3. I'll turn there myself. John's gospel, John chapter 3. Uh, there we go. So the Lord Jesus himself explained to Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, that unless one is born of water and the spirit, actually, no, we'll read this together. I have it here in my notes, but I'll slow down. John chapter 3, we'll read verses 5 and 6, and then this morning I added... Uh, we'll, we'll go down to verse 16, because here we have Jesus having a conversation with the Jewish religious leader and explaining to them this phenomena, that we are born again by the Spirit. So let's read it. John chapter 3, uh, verses 5 to 6. Here's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So in other words, just as we are born naturally by the will of our parents who are flesh, in the same way we are born supernaturally by the will of God the Holy Spirit. This is a mystery. Nicodemus, he's trying to get it. What do you mean? Does that mean that I have to enter my mother's womb? He actually asked that question. But it is by the supernatural will of God, the Holy Spirit, that we believe, that we are born again. Let's go down to verses 16 to 18. And I want to do this. This is kind of like another side note, but an important one. Because here we are talking about faith to the gospel. But as I'm studying this sermon and reading it again, what's the obvious question? What's the gospel? And so as I was studying, for me... My number one conclusion is the gospel is big. The gospel is big. It's hard to understand. And I think Paul, in a different letter, he writes that it is by the power of God that we understand it. That's kind of comforting. It's big and it's hard to understand. Nonetheless, we can articulate it. And I want to use Jesus' words here to help us understand the gospel. Here's how Jesus explained it to Nicodemus, right? So chapter 3, same chapter, verses 16 to 18, Jesus says, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. I think that is uh, super helpful. That's how Jesus explained the gospel to John. God loves you. God loved the world. That means he loved the people in it. He loves you. That's good news. I mean, that's good news for all of us. Those of us who are church people, we know we're not perfect. We know we're unfaithful. But God loves you anyway. When I think about this stuff, I think of my own children. I think of church kids who hear this all the time. I think they're numb to it. God loves you. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, but God does love you. I would say my testimony is that God saves good church boys. That's my testimony, right? Of my three brothers, they were rebellious. I wasn't. I was like the golden child in my church. To them, I was Carlitos, right? It was like, I was like the next one in line, like the successor to our pastor. And that 
What that does, it, gives, it creates pride. You become proud. Like, who cares about any of that? God saves good church kids because apart from Christ, they know the right things, do the right things, but are not right with God. Isn't that a tragedy? But it is by the power of the Spirit that good church kids realize these grand truths that, yeah, you behave, who cares? God describes you as, an, as indifferent to him. You are dead to him. And we're going to read a passage on that. And God gives our good church kids faith to believe the gospel and to not be self-righteous like the Galatians are trying to do, but to accept God's righteousness given to them in the gospel. That produces gratitude. That's what I want for my kids. You, I just thought of that story of, of Jesus healing uh, 10 lepers, I think it was. And only one guy came back and said, thank you. Like, I don't want my kids to think they're saved. And kind of like, like, again, this thing of like, oh, yeah, gosh, like, like not, without any knowledge. I, want them, I, don't, I wish for them not to have any horror story. But I wish for them to believe and to have profound gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. To be moved by these grand truths. Let's keep going. Okay, here's that other passage. Let's look up Ezekiel 36. So I'm going to go to the table of contents, like I said. Ezekiel uh, chapter 36. I love these verses because how they articulate this experience of the Holy Spirit making us alive to God. Okay, so Ezekiel. Right. Right, Ezekiel 36, here we go. We're going to read verses 25 to 28. You guys there? We good? Okay. So Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 28, it reads like this. This is actually, let me just read the note here, I think it's important. The prophet Ezekiel described this new birth beautifully when he spoke on God's behalf to stubborn Israel, promising to do in his power what they could not do in theirs. So here's what he said. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall, dwell, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I love that. Like, I grew up hearing, this hearing, it's not that it's bad, it's just that it's oversimplified. I grew up hearing God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Say a little prayer. Jesus will come into your heart. And I think it produced very small thoughts of God. God wasn't feared. Did you know we're supposed to fear God? Did you know that's a natural, a logical response to the bigness of God? Even growing up in church, the the phrase, the fear of the Lord, I didn't like that phrase. Because I thought we had to make God cool. So the fear of the Lord doesn't sound very cool to me. It sounds scary, like he's some abusive father. In other words, I had very small views of God. Even let's go back to John, what we read in John 3.16. It says, for God so loved his son, that, he, that for God so loved the world that he sent his son. Even my whole concept of that, right? It's almost like God is some abusive father. I actually heard a debate between a Muslim guy and a Christian. This is back when universities had debate, uh, that, um, and we're allowed to think, that uh, this, the Muslim guy actually had a good point. He's like, 
you know, he's like, you know, you, you believe that God the Son, God the Father sent the Son. Why is he an abusive father? He would send his son to be killed. Who would do such a thing? I, in the Torah, I was like, like, that was a good point. But it wasn't. Because when we say that God the Father sent the Son, we're not talking about a man sending a child. God the Son is not a child. God the Son is God Almighty. He is one with God the Father and God the Spirit. This is not a small God. You know, he sends poor Jesus. Jesus himself in John says, I lay down my life and take it up again. Does that not sound like something God would say? So we are not talking about God the Father sending this poor son for you and I. It's God himself coming. God coming for me and you to make us right with himself. So it's grand. And God is grand. So when we read Ezekiel, the reason why I wanted to read that is to give you some words to see it for yourself. This is what it means. God takes your heart of stone, whether you're in church or not. Your heart is dead to him. It is indifferent to him. And God takes it and replaces it with the heart of flesh, which is to say a heart that is responsive to him, that loves him back. So for the good church kid that knows everything, but it doesn't love God, God gives you a heart to love him back. You love him now. He's your God, not the God of your mom and your dad. So that when you are tested, and this is big because as I think of my own children, they will be tested. I don't expect them to have an easy life. My wife and I have not, have not had an easy life. Our marriage has not been easy. So when I think about my children, I don't pray the Lord Jesus, keep them safe. I don't, like, yes, keep them safe, of course. But God knows what he has decided for them. And I'm pretty certain he will test them. He will try them. And so my prayer is that they would endure by the power of the Holy Spirit, not their own. And their testimony would be that God is faithful, even though I'm not just like their dad. Does that make sense? So God gives us a heart of, replaces our heart of stone with the heart of flesh. And now we love him. Now we worship him. When we sing all the stuff that we sang, it's, it's coming out of a real place. We're willing to, to love the Lord, even though there's suffering involved. Just like in one of the, the songs, one of the lyrics said something to that effect. So the Holy Spirit produces faith in us to believe the gospel. The question is, do you believe the gospel? If so, praise God. He's done this in you. He's done this in me. That's why we worship him. But if not, then could it be that God is persuading you through your own reasoning, through what you yourself can observe? Could it be that God is persuading you to believe? Could it be that God is guiding your, the circumstances in your life to get your attention? And to cause you, like it says here, to question what you thought you knew was true. What you thought was true. Could it be? Man, if so, like I encourage you, repent. Repent and believe with us. I love that word repentance. There's another word that growing up in church, I was like, I don't like that word. It kind of sounds weird. Like repent and believe. I don't want to tell people to repent. Just, just Jesus loves to repeat after me. But like repent, what does it mean? It means change your mind. It's not a one-time experience. It's an ongoing experience for the Christian as the Holy Spirit renews our mind through his word. We repent. We change our minds. Right? For the non-Christian, it might mean you repent and you experience for the first time in your life that God loves you, that he forgives you. He makes you a new creation. And in Galatians, Paul says that. He says that at the end, all that matters is a new creation. I mean, this is the guy that persecuted Christians, right? 
So could it be that, that God would grant you repentance and faith and you experience the love of God and his forgiveness? And for those of us who believe, we repent and believe with renewed fervor the truths of God. This is a good thing. I think sometimes for me that came with tears, right? Just in my kitchen table, I would be reading the Bible and just realizing, man, I am, I have, wait, I have, like everything's an idol in my life. Everything's more important than God. God I assigned God a role. Provider, protector, that's it. Don't alter anything. Crazy, right? My job was an idol. My house was an idol. Even my stupid phone was an idol. Isn't that embarrassing? Like just everything. You become trivial in your mind. Everything becomes more important than God. Okay, let's keep moving. So the fruit of the Spirit is faith in the gospel. Number two, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness to the gospel. So the first point, the fruit of the Spirit, is he, caught, he gives us faith to believe. But the fruit of the Spirit is he, hold, he makes us faithful to the gospel. And in our day and age, why would you be? Why would any of us be faithful to the gospel? It's easier to water it down. It is by the Holy Spirit that we will be faithful to the gospel of Christ without watering it down. So the Spirit produces that faithfulness in us to persevere Despite confrontation and persecution. Paul wrote to the Galatians. We can turn back there. Galatians. uh, Paul wrote to the Galatians reminding them that faithfulness to the gospel would be costly. Um, Look with me at chapter 6 verse 17. All right, so uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. This is near the end of Paul's letter. He says to them, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So his body literally had marks and bruises of what it meant for him to be faithful to the gospel. That's crazy. Like, mine doesn't. Like, but his did. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. That's just the book before it. So you can just flip a few pages to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to read about how Paul described his sufferings and persecutions in great detail. This is just to give us a sense of what he endured. I think that gives him a lot of credibility. When we read Paul's letters, this is the guy who wrote it. This is the guy who wrote it, right? (coughs) So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll read uh, verses... 23 to 28. Actually, no, we'll read verses 21, halfway down, where it starts with, but whatever anyone else dares. And I want to read that because the context is similar. This is also a church that's in trouble. They also have Judaizers. I think he referred to them in that letter as super apostles. These are boastful Christian leaders. They're not ashamed to boast of their greatness. So when you read here some of the, in some of the things that he says, he says, I'm talking like a fool. He's referring to them because he thinks, he thinks they're fools. Okay, so verse 23, here's, here's what he says. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, super apostles, I am speaking as a fool, like one of them. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, like one of them. And here's where he gets serious, right? With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure, and apart from all, from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Like, that's insane. That's what he endured, and, and ultimately, he was martyred. That's what perseverance, that's what he endured in perseverance to the gospel. So when Paul writes to us, I respect him. Tremendous credibility. So faithfulness to the gospel uh, meant for Paul that he had the difficult task of confronting and correcting false teachers, false brothers, and false teaching. But perhaps the most difficult thing of all was for Paul, for Paul, was that faithfulness to the gospel meant that he had the extraordinarily difficult and undesirable task of confronting and correcting Peter, the leader of the church and a true brother, for having allowed himself to be intimidated into cowardice and hypocrisy, leading many astray along with him. So let's read that confrontation in Galatians chapter 1. You can just... For me, I just slipped over one page. I'm there. Galatians chapter 1. We'll read verses 11 to 14. And the question is, how did Paul confront Peter? And while you guys look it up, I'll have coffee. (laughs) Kingdom coffee. Um, Okay, so Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. How did Paul confront Peter? Here's how he describes that confrontation. But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That was the issue of the letter. And that's what Paul said to Peter in confronting him. So this must not have been easy, right? I mean, Paul is the guy who persecuted the church, uh, who persecuted the church violently. Paul is the guy who stood by as Stephen was martyred. In contrast to him, Peter... Peter is the guy who actually walked with Jesus and formed part of his inner circle. Uh, Peter was also the guy who confessed that Jesus was a Christ, the son of the living God. Like these are Peter's highlights. He has a lot of mistakes, which is why I like him a lot. But he also has some really good highlights in scripture, right? So these are some of them. Peter was also the guy who, who was made the leader of the church by Jesus. So who did Paul think he was to confront Peter, the leader of the church? By what authority or credibility would he do so? But Paul, I love this part. I think he's so good in this letter. Paul was not concerned with anyone's approval or disapproval. His chief aim was to be faithful, was to be a faithful servant of Christ. Look at his words in chapter 1. We're in chapter 1 already. Go to verse 10. Listen, look at this. I want you guys to see this. 
Chapter 1, verse 10. It's right there. For, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I love that. Um, I, just lo- I love that about Paul. Like He is not concerned with who's who. What matters to him is faithfulness to the gospel. But it kind of makes me wonder. Like When I read that, I can't help but think of that question for myself and for you. Um, like whose approval do we seek? Whose approval do you seek? Whose approval do I seek? Like I read that and I can't help but think that. I like that in him. Man, I don't know if I can say that. Exactly who is it that you and I are still trying to please? Is it people or is it God? Is it a colleague, a family member? A loud, you know, loud people tend to be intimidating, right? It's a bunch of nonsense, but they can be like, oh, hey, and you don't want to deal with that. Like, who is it that you are intimidated by? Whose approval do you want? Who are you trying to please? God and man. I think Paul's great here. So Paul confronted Peter in the power of the Spirit and in the spirit of gentleness, just like he instructed the Galatians to do in chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. So let's read that. He, this is the instruction he gives the Galatians in how to confront Somebody who's in transgression. So I want to read that because this is how I think that encounter went down. All right? So chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. You guys still with me? Is this too much? Are we going, is it like... Good? Okay, good. Okay, so he says this to them. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted... Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I think that's so good. I think that's how he did it. I think that's how Paul confronted uh, a Peter, and that's good instruction for us as well. Okay, let's read, let's read Peter's response. How did Peter respond to that? Uh, let's go to Second Peter chapter 3. Oh, there we go. It's like the last paragraph in the letter. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 14 all the way to the end, verses 18. And then I'll read this little blurb here. So this is how Peter wrote about Paul in his closing remarks in Second Peter. Chapter 3, verses 14 to 18, has he encouraged believers to be found faithful as they patiently waited in their lifetime for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. So similar themes. But here's how Peter, here's what Peter wrote of Paul and gives us an idea of how he might have responded. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish or at peace, meaning be faithful as you wait for the Lord Jesus, come to, the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Let's stop right there. How did he refer to Paul? Our beloved brother. I love that. Not that guy who wrote Galatians. Like our beloved brother. <coughs> right? And he, I love what, how he describes him. According to the wisdom. Acknowledging God has given him wisdom. The wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters. Would this have included Galatians? 
Yeah, right? When he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. So if you read Paul and you're like, man, this is hard. Peter says it's hard. So you should be comforted by that. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this firsthand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So Peter responded with brotherly love and gratitude to Paul, commending all his letters to the believers he wrote to. And like Paul, Peter sought to strengthen the faith of believers by grounding them in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and guarding them from being carried away by the ignorant, as he says, the ignorant and unstable who twist the scriptures to their own destruction. So what would you do then? Question for all of us. What would you do if you knew a Christian? Or maybe you do. What would you do if you knew a Christian or a Christian leader who was in error preaching a false gospel and promoting false teachings? Does anybody know somebody like that? Would you remain silent to avoid awkward and uncomfortable disapproval? Or would you speak the truth in love and a spirit of gentleness in order to persuade said Christian to the truth? So I don't know, right? This can play out in so many ways. This can be maybe a, a famous Christian that you like who's gone sideways. It's your choice whether you choose to be under their influence. Or maybe you're in, in leadership somewhere. And you need to make decisions, and there's one really boisterous person who's, who's misled and misinformed by, I'll say, false gospels in our culture so that our gospel is conformed to the culture. You ever been in those? Christians virtue signaling, like all the lines that we hear in our culture? We need some diversity training. We need to be more inclusive. Those are flags for me. No, we don't. No, we don't. We need the gospel, right? So when these things play out, May God give us wisdom. May God give us courage. And I think this happens with practice. I think it happens little by little in little things as we practice telling the truth to each other. And simple things. It doesn't have to be a conflict, but you become a truth speaker, a truth teller of God's word by practice. Hey, bro, encouraging each other in the Lord. I used to think that was weird, you know. There's passage, there's like a, a passage where we're encouraged to speak in psalms and spiritual songs, right? I think Paul writes that. And I thought that was weird. Like, how did two men speak to each other in spiritual songs? Like, that's, I, that could be a cultural thing, but in my mind, that was weird. That's like, I don't want a guy singing to me a song. Like, one, <laughs> but, but that's, a, that's just ignorance on my part. I think there's cultures who, in the world who probably do that. <clears throat> Until I went for uh, counseling a few years ago. And uh, so I had a counselor, and I was assigned an, ad- I was assigned an advocate. A brother, a Christian, a brother. And this guy, he would, he would text me and say, love you, bro. I just prayed for you. Here's a song. And I liked that. I was angry with God in those moments. I was unfaithful. I was in ministry for six years and I quit. I was angry with God. But God showed me his love through his church. Like this guy. Hey, bro, prayed for you today. Uh, here's a song. Here's a verse. He was speaking to me, if, if you will, in psalms and spiritual songs, and those things were encouraging to a Christian who was angry and deceived into believing lies about God. And that's a dark place. It's like you believe one lie, it's like dominoes, right? So thank God for that. So may the, may the Holy Spirit help us to be full of grace and truth, just as the Lord Jesus was, and may he give us boldness to speak the truth in love in a spirit of gentleness so that we might be used of him to restore one another. I think that starts with practice. Point number three. 
The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness with the gospel. That's just me trying to be clever and cool, trying to, you know, fruit of the Spirit. All I'm trying to say with that is the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness to the church. And it goes back to that word pistis, that word pytho. The idea is that it's not you're faithful, like I agree this is my position on something. You're faithful to God and therefore you're faithful to his church. You're moved by God into action, right? God moves you to say, oh, I, you know, like many of us will say, I, I love this church. I've said that. I've said that to some of you. You've said it back. We've probably said it to each other. You know, like, I love this church. <clears throat> and we mean that. But isn't it kind of weird in a way? Like, but you don't know everybody, right? How can you say you love it? But I think it's by the Holy Spirit that he gives us his love for his church. And loving the church of Christ, this church and the church of Christ, you can't help but be moved by the Holy Spirit to serve. So faithfulness is not passive. It's not passive like a passive thing you agree to. It's active love. I'm faithful to my wife. I want to demonstrate love to her. I'm faithful to my kids. I want to raise them. I don't, I don't, I don't leave them to themselves. They have, I'm present with them. I love my church. I can't, like for me, it's not okay that there's, there's needs and I don't meet any of them. I love my church and I help serve in some way. With wisdom. I know that for some, you can, it's, uh, you know, for sometimes in churches, it's easier to take on too much. That's, that's, that's true. Right? But we can serve somewhere. So Paul, <clears throat> Paul loved the churches in Galatia enough to confront them with the truth. He even asked them in chapter 4, verse 16, he asked them, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul served the churches in Galatia and us by extension by writing them this letter and the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit to confront and comfort. If you read the letter, I'm I'm encouraging, read it. There is confrontation, but it comes with love. His words are strong. This is some crazy things. Uh, that I, I don't think I should say because I'm not the pastor. Pastor Trevor can come and say those things, but he gets, it's pretty intense. He, um, this confrontation, but with comfort, comfort in the truth of the gospel. There's, there's um, rebuke, but with, with restoration in mind. So this is not fighting. Like, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, and, he, and he goes at them. He loves them. He, 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 he says to them, I wish I could be with you so I can change my tone. So there's a lot of love there. Paul taught the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 6, for in Christ, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. That's the argument. Circumcision, should we do it or not, guys? And Paul says, that doesn't matter. Thank, you know, like, that doesn't matter. Only faith through love. Let's go to chapter 5, verse 13 to 14. Galatians chapter 5. Uh. Verse 13. So in, in chapter 5, verse 6, I just read it to you. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is what he's teaching them. He is, here's what he's reminding them in chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Okay, here's what it says. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love the Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let's go down to chapter chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Here's what he instructs them to do. Or this is in the manner in which he instructs them. I wish for you guys to see this and read it with me so you can see for yourself. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is one of the passages that really spoke to me. Because I think my general status is tired. Like, I'm always tired, right? Um, so when, he, when I read this, do not grow weary in doing good, like, for me, it's like, man, I, I'm just tired, man. I, I, don't, like, I, just, I, I want to do nothing. But I read that, and it's like, that's good. I say I love this church, then I can't. It's okay to be tired, but I can pick one thing and do it well. So for me, I've already picked it. That's what I'm going to do. What about you? Can you guys relate to that? Like you're tired. Maybe some of you guys who take on, right? Like, we can do one thing, and let's serve our church. And for those who you haven't served, whatever the reason, man, let me just encourage you. Let's get to work. Help somewhere. It's, it's life-giving. There was a long time that my wife and I, following the whole, oh, I quit church, I'm angry at God. There was a time, I can care less. I didn't want to serve. I didn't want to know anybody. In and out. As long as there was a good kids program, that's good with me. But after a while, God begins to change your mind. Repentance, right? He begins to renew your mind. You're wrong. That's not right. Right? You begin to see his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness, his grace. Contrasted to, to me having none of those things. Right? And then you begin to be moved by God. I I cannot say I love God and love his church. I I need to serve somewhere. Right? So praise the Lord. And also another thing too. Then this is something that really moved me. And and I hope it moves you. For some of you who might relate. I was so blessed by the people in church ministry. My girls were a lot younger then. And to drop them off and know that they were safe. So that my wife and I can have that time. To listen to a sermon meant a lot. And they remembered my children's name. My girls still have the Bible that they were given, just things like that to a guy who's not in his right mind to see the church of Christ loving his kids, it begins to chip away at that foolish anger. It begins to question the lies that I was believing at the time, right? So how can we serve? How can, how can we, how can you, how can I uh, love and serve our church? I think three ways, there's three sub points here. By faith, working through love. By faith, working through leadership. And by faith, working through longing. So I'll explain those. The first one, by faith, working through love. I uh, have a quote here from a book, Character Matters, Shepherding in the Fruit of the Spirit by a guy named Aaron Manikoff. So it's a chapter uh, Pastor Trevor, Trevor gave us to read. I read it. I read, he gave us a few books, a few chapters. This one I really, really liked. And I want to read it to you. Okay? So some ideas here. Manikoff says, Faithfulness shows up in a ton of different practical and beautiful ways, making time to meditate on scripture in the midst of a busy schedule, getting up early and working hard all day to provide for your family, commending Christ in an office that ridicules him, showing up at a widow's doorstep to mend her damaged fence, teaching the the Bible every week to a small group, a small crowd, holding fast to the gospel when those around you are watering it down, gently correcting your kids when inside you want to scream Um, and leading your wife humbly and sacrificially, giving money and time to a neighbor in need, taking a late evening call to encourage a brother struggling with anxiety. He goes on to say, the list goes on. There are as many ways to be faithful as there are saints to be served. These are just some of the marks of a spirit-filled life of faithfulness. The world cares about plaques and popularity, real estate and revenue, glamour and glitz, God cares about faithfulness, the steadfast love, the steadfast commitment to honor the Lord in a thousand simple ways. I love that last, that last little paragraph there. So faithfulness to Christ and his church uh, is moving. It moves us, right? That's what we say. I love our church. 
Um, but it should also move us practically to serve our church some way, to serve the actual people in it. So I encourage you. I want to encourage you with that. Number two, by faith working through leadership. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17, you can write that down. I'll read it for you. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 7. Actually, you know, let's read it. Yeah. Executive, last minute call. Let's read it. So Hebrews chapter 13, you can turn there if you like. I mean, it's right here. I'll read it if you don't, if you don't want to. But if you want to, if you want to go there, you want to read it for yourself, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7, and then we'll jump to 17. Okay, here's what this guy wrote, the writer to the Hebrews. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Let's go down to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the writer to the Hebrews instructed his audience to imitate the faith of their leaders and to obey and submit to their leadership. He didn't say anywhere in there to pedestal them. So we don't put them on a pedestal. It's just guys. It's just brothers in the Lord. But we can respect them. We can make their job a joy, as we read in that passage. Um, And the way that I see it, as long as the gospel is preserved and the word of God is preached, we should be willing to follow our leaders as as they follow the Spirit's leading, knowing that they are entrusted to watch over our souls and we'll also give an account. So thank God for our pastors here. I think they do that well, right? Uh, let's go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Paul wrote uh, to them. Here's what he says about leadership to this church. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, Paul wrote, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And what Paul was instructing them to do here was to support their leaders materially, which I say amen to. Right, to make sure they're, they're cared for, provided for. Sub point number three, by faith working through longing. Let's look at chapter five, verse five. This is a great, chap, a great verse in this letter, right? Chapter five, verse five, Paul writes this to them. He says, for through the spirit, by, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That is an awesome line given the Argument that's happened, or the, the 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 scenario that's playing out in the letter—a false gospel—and it wasn't a health and wealth gospel like ours, <clears throat> where we water it down. They were adding, piling on layer, piling on laws. You want to be a Christian? Great. Do these other laws. <clears throat> so, in light of that, and and if you follow those laws, then you're righteous, right? I love what he says here. Um, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So this is big. Um, Paul taught the Galatians that they should not misplace their hope on themselves, counting on their <clears throat> counting on their own. Kingdom coffee. <laughs> Just kidding. It's, I don't know if I should say that. It's good. Uh, okay. Anyway, um, it quenches your thirst. <laughs> okay. So what Paul was. Paul taught the Galatians that they should not misplace their hope on themselves, counting on their own self-righteous inability to keep the Jewish laws, which is humanly impossible to do anyway. So that's like a, like a church kid thing. Like, don't bother to be perfect. You can't. Like, that's good news. That's good news. Um, 
Instead, Paul taught the Galatians that they should place their hope in God and eagerly wait and long for him to make them completely righteous. So this is where we get into some profound truths, which is awesome because our faith and the gospel presents us with grand truths. Stuff that we have to think about and need the power of God to understand. So let's see if we can get some of this. This is massive for two reasons. Number one, God declares us righteous by faith in his son. That's a loaded phrase. Number two, God makes us increasingly righteous by the presence and power of his spirit. And both of these things give us hope. So God declares us righteous by faith in his son. Meaning that he judges us as righteous on account of Jesus' righteousness given to us in exchange for our Sin. This means that in God's sight, we are declared righteous, even though our behavior may not yet match that declaration perfectly. I wish I would have known this as a young guy. You know, you, you love Jesus, and I think that's a real thing. You love the Lord, but you keep failing at the same thing. And then some guy comes, gives a powerful, test, dramatic testimony, and everything goes away in one moment. And as a Christian kid, you're like, man, like, why doesn't he help me? Why do I pray that I still struggle with this and that and the other thing? So for me, this is, this is awesome. Our righteousness is not ours. And that's a good thing. I'm not self-righteous. I know I'm not righteous. My kids know that. My wife, like, like if you know me, you know that's true. And that's a, that should give us a sigh of relief. We don't virtue signal as Christians. We are given righteousness. We, we accept it. We embrace it. And it feels good. Jesus says I'm righteous. And when I don't behave like it, when I am a foolish husband or a foolish father, and the, and the enemy can use that or, or, or to, to attack me, do you know that feeling? So the hope is not, let's get it together, let's get it right. It's, God, I am yours. You will never disown me. You say I'm righteous, and you're going to finish what you started. There's a lot of hope in that. Does that make sense? For those of us dads, right? Or for, or for our kids, if my kids screw up, like... I know, I know how to screw up, but I can teach them how to repent and to put the Lord, to put their faith in Christ's righteousness given to them by faith. The second part to that, they go together, right? The second part is that God makes us increasingly righteous by the presence and power of his spirit at work in us, meaning that God, the spirit will complete righteousness in us. I took that phrase from uh, this commentary in my study, but I just love it. Complete righteousness in us, the Holy Spirit will do, on that day when we see the Lord Jesus face to face. This is the hope of righteousness that Paul was referring to. The longing in our hearts to no longer sin against the God we love and to no longer struggle with the flesh, with our sin nature. But praise God for his faithfulness to us even when we fail him. Were it not for God's unfailing love for us, we would despair and shipwreck our faith. But we do not despair because our hope is not in our ability to keep it together or to appear to do so. Our hope is in God who strengthens us and sustains us and keeps us together while keeping all of us together as a church. So praise God for that. Praise God for his unfailing love, right? Like this is a relief. So those of you who are looking into Christianity... You are surrounded by sinners saved by grace. I hope you feel at home with us. And if you put your faith in Christ, you'll be another sinner saved by grace. Your story is not how great you are. It's how great God is. It's what gives weight to all the songs we sing. Those lyrics are nice, right? They have profound meaning. The more we read the scriptures, I know what I'm singing. Sometimes that moves me to tears. Like I rarely cry about anything. But I am moved by these truths. 
But also think of people who suffer. It's not just struggling with sin. People who struggle, suffer with like physical ailments. God, people whom, whom God has allowed hardship. God has allowed some of us to have greater hardship than others. It could be a, a, a circumstance, a sickness. And when I think about that, does this not, these truths, do they not make us long for heaven? Do they not make fellowship with Christ sweet? My wife had a postcard. Let me see if I can remember it. And in the postcard, it said something like, if God has made your cup sweet, drink it with gratitude. But if he has made your cup bitter, drink it in fellowship with him. That's good, isn't it? So I'm just saying that for those of us who, who God has allowed hardship. You can drink that. You can know him in a way that a lot of us cannot. Maybe you have greater testimonies that will encourage the faith of us, right? So praise God for his faithfulness. Pastor Trevor uh, met with me. He, he was coaching me, gave me some tips, do this, do that. I just want to ask some questions. These are his questions. It sounds like him. Uh, but I thought they were good questions. So he, so here's his <laughs> Do you long for the day? He said, does anyone, do you long for the day when you will no longer have to battle the flesh, where your natural inclination will not be to sin, but to worship? That was a great question. I couldn't think of a way to reword that, so I just give him credit for it. Praise God that that day is coming when our bodies will be redeemed and we will be made perfectly righteous. Okay, so let's close this sermon with Galatians chapter 5, verse 10. I don't know if I'm over time, by the way. I thought there'd be a timer back there. I don't see one, so. <laughs> We're almost done. We're almost done, you guys. Galatians chapter 5, verse 10. We'll close with this. Paul says to them, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So Paul trusted in the faithfulness of God to his church to restore the Galatians to the gospel. Paul also trusted in the faithfulness of God to his word or to his character to judge the one who is troubling you. So let's wrap it up with these questions. Why should any of this matter to us today? Why should Paul's letter to the Galatians matter to us today when it was written so long ago? Paul's letter to the Galatians matters to us today as much as it did then. Because there are in our day many, not just one, but many who trouble the church. Today there are many false brothers, as Paul called them, who preach false gospels and lead many professing Christians to, this, to desert the one true gospel. Today there are many influential Christian leaders who are allowing themselves, <clears throat> excuse me, to be intimidated into cowardice and hypocrisy. Do any of you observe this? When I was in ministry, I used to be in that world, right? I followed all the, I'm not in that world. I, I, I am glad not, like, I'm glad not to follow it like I used to, like a fanboy, you know, like, oh, I love this guy. I love but um, when I do observe it sometimes, it just seems a little odd. The idea of celebrity pastor, and you contrast that with Paul. But I do believe some guys are legit, right? So I don't know. I don't mean to, to stir any trouble there. Today, there are many generous and well-meaning Christians who are bewitched. These are some of his words, right? So he describes the Galatians 
in chapter 4, verses 12 to 20, he describes them in, in such a wonderful way. Like, these are good, these are good people, we would say. Uh, but today, and, and I'm in this crowd too. So hear this as I'm, I'm with you guys. I usually sit too, right? So this is us. Today, there are many generous and well-meaning Christians who are bewitched, hindered, and led astray unwittingly by who or what they bring in or allow to slip into their homes and into their churches. Do you think that's true? That's not meant to be controversial or, or anything with, with any of you. I think that's more for me or, and for you, right? To be on guard, to not be negligent, to be vigilant. Myself, in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 4 or 3. Somebody can check, but you can look up this proverb. We're, we're instructed to guard our hearts. Because from our hearts, our hearts determine the course of our life. That's a great verse for all of us. I love it as a guy. Like, I guard my own heart. Meaning, I guard it from any number of nonsense. And I proactively fill it with God's word. And whatever, as I go, my family goes. I've noticed that. If I'm not guarding it, if I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm, not, I'm being negligent. I'm, being, I'm not being vigilant. Anything and everything comes in my house. Influencing my wife and my kids. That's what I'm referring to. So you and I, in a way, need to be on guard, right? And as Paul would say in this letter, we need to be keep in step with the Spirit, which is another way to be led by the Spirit. In being led by the Spirit, we enjoy his sweet fellowship, and he works on us little by little. And we end up praising him all the more. So how do we respond, right? What can we do about this? I would say three things. Let us repent and believe the one true gospel no matter who rejects it. Let us love and serve Christ's church, no matter who hates it. And let us rest in the faithfulness of God, knowing that we are loved by him. Paul ends his letter uh, to the Galatians. These are his final words. Verse 16, uh, chapter 6, verse 16. I'll just read it to you and pray. But the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen indeed. Let me pray and then uh, we can close with worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you that we can read it together. And thank you, Lord, that it's also a dynamic experience as your Holy Spirit begins, begins to address us as sons and daughters. For those of us who believe, you begin to address us in a loving way in the areas that we might need to repent, in the areas that we might need to disbelieve whatever lie we've believed and believe what you say. Thank you, Lord, that through your word you re-educate us. And thank you that we can unlearn whatever we picked up along the way that isn't true. We can unlearn those things and learn or relearn or learn for the first time what you say. Lord, give us faith to believe what you say. Give us faith to not care what the world says. They will never approve of you. Give us faith to love you, Lord, to believe the gospel, to persevere in it, even though in our day it may truly come at a cost. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.